This is not a very well-known term, trauma bonding, but if you are in an abusive relationship or are supporting someone else who is in one, or if you experienced abuse as a young person, then you will find this information to be a vital key in unlocking your recovery journey. The Marriage Podcast for Smart People is designed to help busy couples like yourselves move away from conflict and unhappiness to build a marriage you'll love today and treasure for a lifetime. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Learn how you can help save marriages, prevent divorces, and keep families intact by going to oyf.support. Once again, that website is oyf.support. And now, here are your hosts, Caleb and Valinda Simone Gundel from Only You Forever. Welcome to the Marriage Podcast for Smart People, like my wife. If you want to build a thriving, passionate marriage, we've got the research, the truth, and the answers you're looking for. We have a solemn episode for you this week. This is episode number 156, and today we're going to be talking about trauma bonding. It is a fascinating subject, but also very difficult for those who find themselves in this kind of situation. Hey there. Before we get started, if you missed last week's episode, we discussed how wealth impacts marriages, and that's worth going back and checking out. And also make sure you hit the subscribe button so you don't miss any of our upcoming shows. If you're struggling with your marriage, we offer sound, research-based advice, and most of all, we offer hope. Hope. I like that word. It's a good word. Mm -hmm. All right, let's talk about trauma bonding. Okay. Definition first. Trauma bonding is the formation of powerful emotional attachments in abusive relationships, seen to develop in abusive marriages and also in abusive families, in hostage situations sometimes, and in cults. It occurs where the abused or mistreated individual feels positive regard for their abuser or feels like they need the abuser or continually returns to the abuser despite the harm they do. Okay. It's often characterized, and this is a helpful way of seeing it. It's often characterized by a sense of being unable to live with the abuser and being unable to live without them. Okay. Sometimes this gets called the Stockholm situ- uh, syndrome, and it was first so first popularized when uh, some robbers took four people hostage in a bank. Yeah. And the standoff, I don't know how long it lasted, I forget. You can look it up on Wikipedia. But when they eventually released, um, rescued the hostages and everything, the hostages refused to testify against their captors because oh. they had developed uh, trauma bonds with them. Okay. That's a little bit different. So why do we do this? Are you going to be talking about that yeah, later yeah. on? Yeah. Oh, okay. I think I am. So in today's show, given our context is marriage, we're going to be talking about this in relation to abusive marriages. However, if you're in a different kind of situation, and I'm, I'm just thinking because it's a psychotherapy topic on this podcast that we are always dealing with, maybe like childhood sexual abuse, you'll also be able to better understand that from what you learned today, even though we're talking mostly in the marriage direction. Okay. So it is a very difficult subject. And in fact, relationships with trauma bonds, they can often look like addictions and I'm not saying we have to go down that road, but just the idea of continuing to to do something like being in the relationship, mm-hmm. despite knowing the negative consequences and sacrificing all other aspects of your life for the relationship. Okay. Like your friends, your social network, maybe your job, your sense of self-worth, like you're losing all these other things, staying in something that doesn't work. Okay. So trauma bonds, therefore, like if, if it comes to like in a marriage context, it can be a lifelong struggle as the abused person continues to fall into the same cycle over and over. And bystanders, such as a sibling maybe who sees you in an abusive marriage, can look into your situation and wonder why you don't leave. Mm. Well, if it's a bystander listening today, hopefully the show will also give you some understanding as to why leaving is so difficult. 
Okay. So why do these trauma bonds form? Well, there's kind of a social trap in an abusive relationship. And the trauma bond makes it hard for the abused partner to leave the relationship. The first instance of abuse often is just seen like an isolated incident. Mm-hmm. And the abuser's attempts to reconcile and make amends end up strengthening the relationship bond. Like he took such good, he was so kind to me after this. He felt so bad. Okay. They're usually really good at winning the abused spouse back at convincing them it was an isolated incident, often even convincing him it was their fault, like the abused, the victim's fault for inciting the anger. You know, if you hadn't burnt my supper, you know what I mean? They go down that road, right? Okay. And this works, but it begins to repeat itself. And what happens is those repeated incidents of abuse shift the abused spouse's beliefs towards thinking that if, that it must be somehow my own fault. Okay. For causing or allowing the abuse. Here's, here's a quote from a researcher. By the time the woman realizes that the abuse is inescapable, the traumatically produced emotional bond is quite strong. Okay. So I'm still, I'm still wondering, like, why? Why has this bond formed? Because when they're making up after the abuse? Yeah, there's, there's some pieces there's that go attachment? into it. One of it, we'll get into that in a moment. That, we're going to get into that right now. Okay. So... Factors contributing to trauma bonds, like what makes them happen. So there's five things that we have identified in the research that contribute to trauma bonding and abusive relationships. And if I still haven't answered your question after this, okay, you can slap me and I won't leave you. I wouldn't do that. <laughs> so power imbalance is one. A power imbalance in a relationship can produce negative self-beliefs and low self-esteem in the subjugated individual, it, in the oppressed or the abused spouse. Okay. So the, the power imbalance makes them feel like they need the more powerful spouse because they're not capable or strong enough to live without them. Mm. So are we starting to get to how this happens? Yeah, but I don't know why. Like, why is that? Okay. Well, hang on. Can I keep going first? Are you? Yeah. No, you were the one that asked me. Yeah. I was happy to listen. They they come to internalize the more powerful individual's view of them as being weak. So if I'm the abused spouse, I take the abuser's view that I am weak and And that actually feeds back into the relationship. So the abuser sees themselves as more powerful because they really begin to take these roles and internalize them. And that increases the imbalance of power and it forces a cycle of dependency. The sense that you need the more powerful spouse strengthens the attachment bond that you have with them. It's because I need you so desperately because I would be nothing without you. I wouldn't have the strength to get through the day. Okay. So the power dynamic is key to understanding this. The abused spouse sees himself or herself through the abuser's viewpoint as needy and dependent. This feeds the power imbalance. It perpetuates the problem. Okay. That part makes sense. And then the next thing, the second part that comes into this is intermittent abuse. So abuse usually occurs intermittently, not all the time. Instances of them are separated by periods of positive behavior, sometimes called the contrition phase or the honeymoon phase, where the abuser promises to change and reaffirms their love. They often treat the abused spouse like royalty during this phase. But over time, the abused spouse is repeatedly subjected to abuse and then reconciliation and relief when it stops. And there's a cycle of building tension, then abuse, then calm, loving reconciliation. And that strengthens the bond for both the abuser and the abused because it's not all bad. Okay. So I, it's like I, even in the abuse part, I'm looking forward to you reconciling with me to, to make it feel right again. Like you, that's an emotional investment back into the relationship, that desire, right? Yeah. Okay. The, especially that sort of reconciliation, the contrition, the honeymoon phase makes the abuse partner more likely to stay in the relationship as during this time, the abuser is often especially loving and kind to make up for the abuse. Hmm. And that can actually alter the abused spouse's memory of the abusive instances 
and reduce the perceived likelihood of abuse happening again. I think wow. he's got it sorted this time. It's not going to, he's not going to do that again. Like we had a good conversation. We really made up and understood each other. And Uh-huh. But this would make it really hard for someone like on the outside of the marriage that can see abuse happening. If when you like say confront the wife, yeah. oh no, right. you know, it's fine. Right. He's but, so loving and caring. Right. right. Depends where you get him. So we're going to get to that in a minute too. Like how to, to hold these memories so that you can cast some reality light onto the situation. Huh. Okay. And often too, and just on that note, I can't remember if I said this in the episodes on abuse or not, and I'll, we'll refer to those in a minute too. But if you're supporting someone in this situation, please be willing to support them going back several times. Oh, really? Yeah. It takes a while before they're finally ready to leave because this is all so deceptive. Mm-hmm. This trauma mm-hmm. bond is so powerful. And so you like to leave though, you're ripping apart that bond. Right. So the bystander says, I'm hating that person's guts for you. Like, why can't you just see it and leave? Yeah. But, but this is, this is like a bond as real as a, a valid bond. Okay. It's still a bond, right? Yeah. Yeah. Now, another researcher interviewed 75 women who had left physically and emotionally abusive relationships, and they found that attachment to the abusive husband, now attachment, again, that's the love, the science word for love, the attachment to the abusive husband lowered self-esteem and the levels of trauma experienced were all interconnected to each other. So those three things, how attached you are, how low your self-esteem is, okay. how much trauma you experienced. Attachment was strongly predicted by the level of intermittent abuse and the level of power imbalance in the relationship prior to leaving. So it's influenced by these things. So if, if it's more sporadic and, and there's a greater power imbalance, there's a greater sense of attachment. Really? Well, I need you. It doesn't happen that often. Oh, okay. So, Whereas if it happened all the time, you would... It might be like, more obvious. Okay, yeah. 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 Now, six months after leaving the relationship, the attachment bond was weaker, but still present. Which shows that that attachment, dra- uh, sorry, the trauma bonding effect can be long lasting. And again, hinting at why many abused women return to their abusive husbands. Hmm. So it doesn't like, it's not like you might step out and get some whatever, but you'll miss him. Right. Yeah. And, and the other thing too, and this is very tough, but off like, I don't know if I should say this publicly or not, but I'll give it a shot. Okay. And please don't see me as defending abusers. Okay. But often that, 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 that's a whole person who carries the image of God and that person is not 100% bad. Right. So there's, there's things you can fall in love with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know what I mean? Right. I can understand that. Does the wife's family see him? No, they got 100% bad. That's the label on there. Mm-hmm. Right. And I understand that. Yeah. I would feel very strongly if, if my daughter was married to someone like that, I'd do the hundred percent bad thing too. Right. So that's, yeah. that's normal enough too. But, but then now the wife is caught in the conflict because she's seeing what's going on and she realizes, you know what, there are, there are some traits that I like here, even if she's mm-hmm. able to stand back and say, uh, abuse is wrong. I'm not doing that anymore. Right. But I mean, there's still the same reasons why she married him are probably still yeah. there. Right. Huh. Okay. So the trauma bond is a real thing. Third thing, core cognitions. Now, another study in 2015 identified these other factors, The next, uh, this one and the next two I'm going to mention that contribute to trauma bonding. Core cognitive components are those core beliefs or ways of thinking about the abuse that are so typical in an abusive marriage. And they are, number one, blaming yourself for the abuse. It's very common. Mm-hmm. If I hadn't got him angry, whatever. Yeah. Two is rationalizing or justifying the abuser's behavior. He's under so much pressure from work and all these different things. And then three is minimizing its significance. 
he didn't really mean it. Oh, okay. He didn't he was mean just frustrated. to hit me that hard. And you can see how those thoughts keep you invested in the trauma bond rather than help mm. you see it for what it is. Yeah. Right. So yeah. they're lowering the negative signals that say you should not be getting closer to this person. So these core cognitive components, those are just things that you're thinking. They're thoughts, core beliefs. beliefs about it. Okay. Okay. Right. Psychological damage is the fourth one. So there's also psychological damage occurring in a relationship like this. Consider, for example, the depression often involved the lowering of self-esteem, the interpersonal difficulties that come in these psychological effects of the abuse. They create a sense of helplessness that can contribute to the abused spouse feeling dependent on their abusive spouse. That's the I can't survive without you part. Okay. I'm nothing without you. I need you. Because of the psychological damage that's been done. Yeah. Okay. No, I could, I could look at you, Verlinda, in our healthy relationship, say, I need you. Well, I was just thinking exactly. that. Does that make me dependent no. and needy? No. Because I don't think I could survive without you. Oh, well, hold the thought. You, okay. Well, I think you're strong enough that you could. You would have, I hope you would. I wouldn't want to. Yes, that's good. But it doesn't, well, I was going to say it doesn't cost you anything. It should cost you very little to have that bond with me. So you're not incurring any trauma because you have that belief. Okay. But for the abused okay. spouse... She can feel the same thing, but she's incurring trauma. Mm, and so that's where this trauma bond comes from. Yep. It's not like it's bond, but it's trauma bond. Okay. Okay. Not healthy bond. So this psychological damage is part of it too. Now, the final part there, love dependency. This is, this is the belief that your very survival is dependent on your partner's love and support. So you have to work hard. You have to invest into the relationship to earn this. Now you're really buying into the trauma bond and it all... You know, this all happens despite the fact that these factors are separate but interlinked. And and these factors can reliably predict the levels of abuse in relationships. So this one study that was just looking at those last three factors, the more you have of those three of the core cognitions, the psychological damage, and that love dependency, the higher the level of abuse. Oh, wow. Because you're more invested, the person can get away with more. Oh, like she's not going to leave kind of thing. She's That's not going to leave. That's the investment. Thinks. So the abuser can get away with more. Oh, yeah. okay. Okay. And of course, the intermittent abuse, the power imbalance that we identified earlier, they also contribute to this. That was just from a different study. Yeah. But So you can see how, like, this is like a, I don't know what you call, want to call it. It's a toxic recipe for this bond. Right. But it's also like a bowl of spaghetti. It's not like one thing. Like yeah, it's, it's very complex. Yeah. 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 Wow. Yeah. Okay. We've created a bonus guide for our much appreciated supporters. If you want to pause and... Assess your current situation to see if you're involved in a trauma bond. You need this worksheet. It'll help you confidently identify what is happening and then understand what you are experiencing, which is such an important first step. And you can get this by becoming a patron of the Marriage Podcast for Smart People. And we'll just take a quick break here to tell you more about that. What happens when the fairy tale marriage meets reality? Too often, high expectations lead to disappointment, communication breaks down, and the struggles of day-to-day -day life become overwhelming, leaving you feeling lost and without hope. Unfortunately, marriage does not come with an instruction manual. Marriage troubles are deeply personal and can take a toll on you, your spouse, and your family. Counseling can be expensive, and divorce is very costly. It doesn't have to be this way. Caleb and Valinda understand your pain and frustration. Their mission is to help save as many marriages as possible. And to date, thousands of couples are helped through their weekly podcast. But the most important marriage they want to help save is yours. 
With a minimum of a $10 investment a month, you gain access to exclusive bonus content and valuable information to help you succeed in your own marriage. Learn more about saving marriages and how you can help at OYF.support. That's OYF.support. You're listening to the Marriage Podcast for Smart People. Before the break, we were talking about the factors contributing to trauma bonds. Yeah. And I think now we need to talk about what to do about it. Okay. Like, okay, I've identified that I have a trauma bond. Okay. Well, not me personally, but. So let's focus on trauma bonding, but I just want to kind of push one part to the side, which is the abusive marriages piece. Okay. How to find recovery safely in that situation. We have episodes on that subject starting at episode number 123. There's three episodes in a row. Is my husband abusive? Can abusive husbands change? And then when to leave or stay in an abusive marriage. Mm-hmm. And those episodes start at oif.link slash one, two, three, 123. That's the first one. And they'll link to each other from there. Yeah. Or in your podcast player, just search for 123. So definitely want to check those out. Under our feed. Yep. So for this show, we're not, uh, we're really just going to focus on the trauma bonding itself and what to do with that. Okay. So not so much on what to do then about an abusive marriage in the larger context. Yeah. All right. What to do about trauma bonding? Four things. One. First step is understanding the issue, which our worksheet is helpful for. Okay. For women with abusive husbands, or even if you want to think about any other form of abusive relationship, if you want to leave the relationship, the bond is going to make it difficult to do so. Because you have an attachment there to that person. Yep. Okay. If you want to stay, it could make achieving change difficult because it's relying on a certain kind of interaction and cycle too. Oh, okay. Because after the initial fear and the danger of an abusive attack have subsided, your feelings of attachment typically will resurface and you will downplay the severity of the abuse too as well, right? Yeah. So at this point, when the attachment has resurfaced, you're going to want to remain with the abuser or return to him and it makes you less likely to seek help or independence or safety. Okay. So understanding how the bond forms and understanding how it is maintained may therefore help you know what to expect. You can expect to feel the attachment come back to the forefront once you get back to the honeymoon phase. Or if you leave the situation and you're not under the attack, so the negative trauma has stopped happening, the bond is going to kick in and say, oh, you miss him. You You want to go back. Yes. Okay. So knowing how all this works should move you towards a more realistic view of the relationship. That's part of the goal here. And from that more realistic view that takes into account the whole scope of things, that's a vantage point where you're more informed and you'll be better equipped if and when you make a decision to leave for your own safety. Right. Just the fact that you are going to miss them. It's not going to be like relief. I'm out of there. Yeah. I can expect this. I know it's going to come. It doesn't mean I should go back. I need to keep the whole thing in mind, which we're going to get to as well. Okay. So for those that are helping abused spouses make a decision like this, uh, a couple of researchers from 93, a study then recommend repeatedly providing factual reminders of the severity of the abuse to prevent the trauma bond biasing the abused spouse's memory of the relationship. Mm. I don't really have experience in this, but to me, the factual reminders make so much sense. It's not like... No, he's an idiot yeah. or something. It's like yeah. it may even he be helpful. Did this, yes, or... it may even be helpful to write down and document all of the incidents hmm. and to keep that with you. Okay, for those that are helping the spouse or you, the spouse themselves. I'm talking to the spouse here. Okay. I mean, if you're helping the spouse, you can suggest this. But this is this is like the factual what? reminder that is going to confront the trauma bond when it's saying you you should go back. You miss him. Okay. So yeah, that's what we're going to say next. <laughs> Well, you were just talking to the person helping the abuse spouse. Yeah, I was. I'm switching back and forth. Oh, 
Okay. Sorry. That's okay. So yeah, just the facts can help either get the person to write the facts down, or if you are the person, the facts can help you confront sort of that rekindling of the traumatic attachment bond so you can keep perspective. Right. So just understand the issue almost from a higher vantage point rather than just being stuck in it. Right. Again, if you're out and you're safe, let's say you've left. Yeah. You start to figure out the bad stuff that was happening Mm -hmm. and you still feel the loss. This is your reality check. Okay. To help you kind of stay the course, make sure he gets recovery, gets help. Next one is attachment style. So this is something else that you can change that will help. Attachment style can be considered, should be considered. And this is the nature of how you bond with your significant other. So this style is most informed by the kind of care you received as a baby from your primary caregiver. So this attachment style, you're going to carry to your next relationship. Yeah. If there is an next one. And so that's why it's important to modify this because you could pick another person who will treat you the same. Oh, Right? Okay. Okay. Now, trauma bonds are similar to an anxious avoidant attachment style. And in this style, security and safety are intermittently provided. And the individual is unsure if their need for intimacy will be met with kindness or hostility. Okay. And insecure attachment, either as a child or an adult, can be a risk factor in the onset of abuse in relationships. So really considering what happened in your family of origin is going to give you some insight as to why trauma bonding is a reality in your life today. Wow. It's kind of the formation of a vulnerability. Okay. Maybe not even kind of, it is. So the good news though, is that attachment style can be changed. Um, We talk about that, for example, in the episode is fear wrecking your marriage. That's oif.link slash 144. Changing from an insecure to a secure attachment style can be achieved through improving your self-confidence and social skills or enhancing your ability to cope with stress and conflict or Hmm. just having even like a, even a a good relationship with, with a counselor. A therapist. When I say a good relationship, I mean a good counseling relationship. One okay. with the proper. That's a corrective experience for attachment as well. Okay. Which is um, a kind of a whole nother topic. But all of all of these things, these are ideas. These are ways you can shift this attachment style. Okay. And it makes sense if you see yourself as more capable, more independent, as having your own social network, your own ability to relate, independent ability to relate to people. You won't see yourself as needy, so you lower the power imbalance in the relationship. Okay. Yeah. Now, if you're going to try to do this while you're in the relationship, it could be dangerous if your spouse is unlikely to accept the shift in power. So you should only do this in the relationship if you believe it's safe to do so there. Okay. Okay. And if, if it's not safe to do that in the relationship, then it's probably wise first to seek safety and then work on your attachment style. So just watch the timing. Because this could just cause things to escalate. The shift in power imbalance could become a power struggle and... Right. The abuser only knows one way to deal with that. Okay. And that's dangerous. It could be very dangerous. Okay. Now, uh, so, but let's talk about addressing the power imbalance. And this kind of comes with the same caveats, right? So the same factors, self-confidence, social skills, they'd also help address the imbalance of power, which is one of the central aspects of the trauma bond. So let's just kind of go over this dynamic again. When there is a trauma bond, the abused spouse feels powerless and dependent, but understand the abuser needs you to feel like this in order to have any power. So they, they okay. require this as well. Yeah. So changing the balance of power in the relationship helps stop the abusive cycle for both the abuser and abused. Okay. For the abused spouse, taking control through setting limits on the spouse's behavior, renegotiating the relationship, or physically separating yourself from them for a time can restore the power balance and heal the trauma bond. In some situations, it would be safe to do this. Okay. 
And again, that comes back to understanding and accurately accessing assessing your safety before trying this. So even just remember, like this show is just a self-help tool. It does not replace working with a professional counselor. If you're not sure, reach out to me for help or find a local counselor or call a safety hotline. There are many resources for folks in this situation. You don't have to figure it out alone. Right. Because if they're being abused and made to feel low self-esteem, like is a woman in that situation going to be able to think clearly about if she's in danger or if she's safe enough to try a power imbalance? She she may. Like if you think of the circumstance where the abuse is psychological yeah. or verbal and, and there's a, and often the spouse really knows and can assess whether this is likely to go physical or not. So there's not, okay. in that particular situation, you know, the life, life and well-being risk is low. Like I'm not going to get beaten, stabbed, shot. I hung, see. Okay. behind a car. Like those really scary, severe things. Not all abusive in fact, many are not like that. Okay. And let's say, you know, she gets a weekend away with some church friends or she goes visiting family for a few weeks and she kind of gets some clarity. Yeah. She get, comes across our podcast. This may be a valid option for her to go back home and start working on shifting that. Okay. Okay. And there may be ways that she can do that that'll be effective for both of them. Okay. But that's why you say you need to understand and accurately assess the safety. Your, your own safety. Yeah. So that this isn't for everybody trying it this way. For okay. sure not. Yep. Okay. And then uh, how many points was I doing? Was it four? You said four. Okay. So the fourth one is breaking old habits. And these are what to do about your trauma bond? Yep. Okay. So since trauma bonding is often influenced by early experience, by attachment style, it can become a longstanding pattern, right? That you, you just do without deliberate thought. Mm-hmm. So you can automatically slip back into this dynamic, even if you want to change. Then to counter this natural tendency to go back to the trauma, you can develop habits to center yourself and to act based on your current intentions rather than those old cycles. So things like this, this is kind of gaining clarity and keeping perspective, right? Okay. Strategies for this could include things like journaling and reflection, meditation and relaxation. So it's just kind of calming yourself out of your hypervigilant anxiety, just really centering yourself down so you can get clarity again in your peaceful place. You know what you need to do. Okay. That kind of thing, right? Okay. You can set boundaries. Uh, You can get therapy to help you process the trauma and develop the skills to separate yourself from it. Because you are not your trauma. Right. And these are all ways to bring you into the present. uh, So you're not in the larger cycle so much. You're kind of standing there now more objectively watching it. So you can face and you can accurately assess your current situation and you can choose to respond in a way that is self-respecting, that is safe for you, and if necessary, your, your little ones as well. Okay. So this is just breaking old habits by really finding these ways to calm yourself down and see what is happening for what it is. So this is like breaking old habits is kind of like breaking the cycle. Yeah. Okay. So it's, 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 um, it's kind of making it's in the, on a present day basis, a game where it's safe to do so. I'm choosing to relate to you out of a healthy attachment style instead of relate to you or respond to you out of the trauma bond style. Oh. Has to go with the other things of shifting that power imbalance back to level. Right. Understanding attachment. Yeah. All this stuff. Okay. Okay. So that's trauma bonding. And again, I've helped women in this situation in my practice. So if I can help you, please reach out to me through our website. I think I understand what trauma bonding is now. Okay. Yeah. That's good. All righty. Well, we want to thank Lynn for becoming a patron between this recording and our last one. And Lynn, we really appreciate you coming on board as well as appreciating all our other patrons who support us every month. Right. I thought it'd be good to talk about the Patreon campaign for a moment. Okay. Our patrons. 
So we started it back a while ago because we were putting so much financial and emotional resources into this podcast and there was so little feedback and really no financial return on the investment. Yeah. We got discouraged. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think one upside from that now is we do see our podcast as more of a ministry. Yes. But money doesn't grow on trees in our yard any more than the next person. So we changed our approach. We made our bonus content available to those who would support our ministry. And now we've continued to grow. We have over 10,000 downloads a week. And not all of those are listened to, but it is amazing to think that there are several thousand marriages a week being helped by our podcast. Mm -hmm. And we are so thankful for the feedback we do receive by email through iTunes reviews that confirm that this podcast is changing marriages. And that's, that's a beautiful thing, which we're thankful to God for. Mm -hmm. Now, it costs us about $400 US per episode to produce this show. And it's a unique show with a very heavy emphasis on providing reliable research-based content. It's presented through our shared wisdom. Myself as the trained professional counselor, Valinda, who has her own deep well of wisdom and care for marriages too. So we put about $1,600 a month into producing the show, US dollars. And right now we have just over 500 a month committed on Patreon by our beloved patrons. We appreciate every dollar that is sent to us because mm -hmm. we know your money doesn't grow on trees either. <laughs> exactly. Nobody's got that tree. However, we are appealing to those of you out there who have been listening for a long time to come on board as patrons. It would be a huge blessing to us to be able to push forward or push toward our next milestone of, of breaking even on this podcast at $1,600 a month. We want to keep doing this show. We want to feel fully invested, but we also have our own financial realities to face too. And your support will make a difference in our lives and in the lives of thousands of marriages. So please go to oif.support in your browser right now to make your pledge. Next, next week. Next week, Linda, we're going to talk about empty nest syndrome. It's a significant translation in the life of any married couple who have children. Okay. We're not quite there yet. No. But that is all for today's episode. It's on the horizon. Oh, we're not going to talk about that though. <laughs> you can get the full show notes at oif.link slash 156. Find out how you can help marriages as Caleb was talking about. Go to oif.support. Thanks. And we'll see you next week. The Marriage Podcast for Smart People is totally funded by listeners who support Caleb and Valinda in their mission to save marriages. If you would like to be part of this worthy cause, open your web browser to oyf.support. A minimum investment of $10 per month will help restore hope to married couples. Plus, as a patron, you'll gain access to exclusive bonus content and valuable information to help you succeed in your own marriage. Go to the website oyf.support now for more information. Thanks for listening to the Marriage Podcast for Smart People from Only You Forever.